that as your responsibility, your calling in your life. And Matthew tells us the story of Joseph, a man whose faith was truly put to the test. A man who truly had to show some extraordinary trust in God. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, I I want you to notice, first of all, Joseph's dilemma. Notice how Matthew begins by telling us in verse 18 what Joseph's dilemma was. You see, verse 18 opens up with the situation that Joseph was faced with when news of Jesus' birth was given to Mary. Now, I said this last week, and I'll remind you, Joseph was not with Mary when Jesus' baby had come to tell her about what was going on. When the angel came to Mary and said, Mary, God has chosen you to be the one, the one that's going to be the mother and conceive uh, through the Holy Ghost uh, this child by the name of Jesus, this one who is going to be the God-man. Joseph wasn't there. So I want you to understand this dilemma that's happening. You see, he never heard any message. The only thing he heard was what Mary told him. And here's the dilemma. First of all, he was espoused to Mary. Right? He was espoused to Mary. Now, you'll, you'll notice there in verse 19 that it says, Joseph, Mary's husband. Right? That was her husband. Now, they weren't exactly married as we think of marriage today. In fact, we wait to call somebody a husband until after the marriage ceremony. Usually in our culture, we we give arrangements, uh, the engagement period is tied, and during that engagement, that person is still our girlfriend or our boyfriend, or we say our fiance, right? This is my fiance, but we don't say, oh, this is my wife, this is my husband. We wait till after the marriage ceremony to do that. But in the Jewish culture, it wasn't like that. Let me just explain quickly what the Jewish culture was like when it came to marriage. There was three steps or three phases in the marriage process when it comes to Jewish culture. Number one was called the engagement period, and this is what would happen. Uh, One set of parents, let's say the parents of the wife, would talk to the parents of the husband, and they would make an arrangement. And they would say, listen, I I really want our children, uh, when they grow up, to be married. I want your daughter to marry my son. Now, you might think in today's culture, like, that's not fair. Why can't you just do that? Well, the reason they did that was this. They said, you know, this of deciding who your husband or your wife is, it's one of the most serious decisions that you can make. Now, anybody that's truly been married knows how true that is. It's a marriage, uh, it's, a, it's a decision that you make once for life. That's what the Bible says. That what God has brought together, let no man put asunder. It's a life-changing decision. And so uh, what the, uh, the people would, uh, the culture of the Jewish culture would they would look and say, listen, this is such an extreme decision that I don't think you're ready to make that decision. You need somebody that's a little bit wiser. You need somebody that knows a little bit more, that's been on this earth a little bit longer. And so uh, since this is such a serious decision to be made, we're going to make it for you. So it wasn't that uh, their parents don't want to give them freedom to their children. It was just that they understood this is a big decision. This is a serious decision, and we're going to help you with that decision. So that first phase is called engagement phase. The second phase is called the betrothal. Now, at the betrothal, this is what happens. Now these children are old enough. Now uh, there might be in their late teenage uh, years or maybe a little bit older than that, and they're going to come and meet you. Might be the first time, it might be the second or third time, depending where they live, but they might be the first time that this couple meets you. And in the betrothal period, 
this is when the, uh, the man will uh, pay a dowry, he'll pay some money to his wife's parents and say, this is what I, uh, I'm putting down here for my marriage from there. And uh, from that time on, for about a year, the, hu- the, the, the husband, uh, he can go and, and make sure that there's a house built, make sure that he's got a business going, make sure that he can support her as her husband. And, uh, and so when he goes and talks to her parents, gives her what we call a dowry, like a, a payment for it, and then they go to the court. And in the court, he says, this is my wife. From that very moment on, on phase two of the betrothal, they become husband and wife in every way that they can. That one way is that they're not living together. They've not consummated the marriage yet. They're just in that phase where legally everything is husband and wife. That means his house becomes her house. And everything that would be a marriage is intact except that one section of consummated the marriage legally. They haven't done that yet. That is the third phase. In the third phase, they come together together in that marriage ceremony, and after that ceremony, they consummate the marriage. So, listen, this is the, the dilemma. Either you can spout and say phase number two. Phase number two, and he gets his ring. Where's the ring? That's why. This is a man who had been waiting for his wife patiently. The Bible says that he was a just man. That means he was a a man that was of good moral character. He had kept himself pure, and and he was trying to do things the right way. And suddenly, uh, this this uh, woman that he thought, this is going to be the, the mother of my children. She's one that really loves God and does things right. And now she's telling me what she really thinks. And he says, well, how, how is this possible? And she says, well, let me tell you. Because I'm going to be concluding here that there's a judge coming. I don't know about you, but that seems like a pretty difficult thing to accept or believe. It's never happened. Never in, in, in history before at any time was there ever a time where that had happened, where suddenly there's a miraculous birth through the Holy Spirit. So now Mary's telling Joseph this when he's espousing her. Now let me tell you, the dilemma is not only am I betrothed to her, I mean, I know this child's not mine. Obviously she's telling me this. But everybody else doesn't know that. Everybody else is looking at her saying, Oh, she's expecting a child. Hey, Joseph, I, I thought you were trying to do things right. Joseph, what, what happened? Joseph is kind of caught in a conundrum. Catch-22 is what he says. What do I say? Do I lie and say that it's not me? I can't do that. I, I know it's not me. But Mary says she was visited by an angel that night. I wasn't there. I have no idea if what she's saying is true or not, and there's this dilemma that first he's betrothed, he's espousing her, second that she's not the father of this child. And let me just say, this was a serious thing. If you look in your notes, in Deuteronomy chapter 22, in verse 23 and 24, this is what the law stated about this situation. You say, well, what happens if someone's in that betrothal period and they get pregnant? Here's what happens. If that wife is unfaithful to her husband in that betrothal period, in that phase two, if she was unfaithful, the law stated that they were to bring them both out to the gate of the city and they were to 
this isn't true. A series time, what am I doing? It's going to get finished. What am I going to do? Mary's telling me she's with a child. It's not my time. I know that. She's telling me that it's going to be of the Holy Ghost. I don't know if that's true. That's why the Bible, you'll notice, as Joseph said, she's thinking about this thing. She's pondering, what, what am I going to do in this dilemma? The penalty for this unfaithfulness is death. This is what Mary fears. She's clearly not been faithful to this point. I've been trying to do the things the right way as I'm trying to speak to this unfaithfulness. been in a dilemma in your life where you say, I don't know what the solution is going to be. You think like, if I do this, it's going to turn out bad. And if I decide to do this, it's going to turn out bad. What do I do? Joseph is in that situation. What do I do? But you'll notice that Matthew not only tells us what the dilemma of Joseph is, but then what Joseph's desire to do with this situation is. You see, at this point, Joseph is getting close to having to make a decision. And really, in effect, he's made a decision. And it was a very difficult decision to make because he really loves Mary. Yet Joseph's character was one of godliness. In fact, as I said there, he was a just man. The word just means upright, righteous, virtuous. He was of high moral character. And Joseph knew that what the law said the right thing to do. I can't hide Mary from this. The right thing to do in my position is to report her to the king. Guess what? A just thing to say. If you're with someone or you witness a burglary, you know what your responsibility is? Here's, here's what you're going to do. You're going to report that burglary. You're going to do that. If someone breaks the law, as I'm sure many of us, it's part of our responsibility. Now Joseph is there and he's wondering, is that what I need to do? And really, in effect, he makes that decision. You'll notice there, it says in verse 19, the dream is just the man not willing to make her a public example or is minded. That word minded means to make a decision to put her away quietly. In other words, Joseph's desire then was to report her publicly. He didn't want her to go get stoned to death. And by the way, that practice had started to fade out of the culture. They weren't really doing that so much anymore. I, I believe that God began with that just to let the people know how serious of a act this was, of a betrayal this was. But by that time, what they did was they had a will of their own. The law stated that you could divorce that person. So Joseph has this option. Okay, I don't know if Mary's going to make it to me. I know that she is with child. She's not my child. Uh, I don't want her to have to die for this. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give her a share of the proceeds. And you can do that privately. You can do it with two or three witnesses. You can make a little courthouse issue. And they would give you a piece of paper that said, Mary is no longer with us. They signed that. There was a witnesses who signed that document. And that would release Joseph of any responsibility for her life. Now, she wasn't going to die, but... They weren't going to be forced to die. She was free from that responsibility. Deuteronomy 24.1, faith works the law like a spirit. And so there he is in the midst of this situation. 
thinking about the decisions that you're going to have to make, thinking about the conversations you're going to have to have with Mary in the next day, perhaps. And there reigns the judge, Moses Jr. And in his sleep, that man passes away. The angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord comes to Joseph. And I want you to notice Joseph's response. We see his dilemma. We see he's in a tough spot. We see his desire to do what is right, yet he wants to do it in a way that's not going to shame Mary, that's not going to ruin her life. And he says, you know, okay, I'm going to do what's right. Okay, I'm going to talk to his wise men. They told me, guys, you need to do what's right. And the angel of the Lord comes. You know, if he would have done just what he wanted or what he desired at the moment, he would have lived his whole life. He would have missed out on so much. You know, one of the great dangers in our life when we come into dilemmas, when we have these catch-22 times in our life, one of the, the, the most dangerous things that we can do is just make a decision based on how we feel, not our emotions, our emotions. What, what does my heart tell me? What, how do I feel about this? So many times as Christians and as people, we get into a, a tough situation because that's what we want to do. Just get me out of this quick. And we make a decision so quickly just based on what we want. Joseph is in that position of saying, okay, maybe I better not do this. But it's in that moment when the angel of the Lord comes and begins to speak to Joseph that he, he tells Joseph that Mary will receive and give this child, but it's not going to be born out of wedlock. angel says, it is because of the Holy Ghost. The child that she has in the beginning is, is going to be named Jesus, the Savior of the world. And by the way, you'll notice there that it says, and she shall bring forth a son. You'll notice in Luke when the angel went to um, Elizabeth's, um, Mary's cousin, that the angel said, and uh, the angel said to Zechariah, the father of Elizabeth will bring forth a son for you. But here it wasn't Joseph's son. He just said, she's going to bring forth a son, and you're going to call his name Jesus. You're going to call his name Emmanuel, grace. That means God with us. Then I want you to notice in verse number 24 what it says. And Joseph came late to see him, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and was not found. Notice the decision he makes. The decision he makes wasn't to go and divorce her. The decision uh, that he makes is to go through with what God had said. His decision, you see, is based on God's word. You see, if he would have done what he desired, he would be making a decision on the wrong basis. So many times we find trouble in our lives because we make a decision on the wrong basis. Well, I just don't think that that's right. I don't think they should do that. I don't think that that should happen. But in those moments, you've got to stop and ask yourself, listen, it's not what I think is right in this scenario. It's what does God's word tell me? What does God, what does God think about this situation? What does God think that I should do? You know, our, our world is full of uh, the philosophy of if it's right for me, it's okay. And we make moral decisions based on that. We make financial decisions based on that. Well, listen, if you have to cheat to get ahead, hey, cheat. Do what you've got to do to get what you want. It's all based on what is your desire in that moment in that situation. Is it what you want to do? 
notice that God's word never teaches us to live our lives that way. God's word always wants us to live in a way that's based on the truth of his word. And Joseph is here, and he gets to a point where he doesn't know what he's going to do. He's in a grave dilemma, and then God steps aside. Let me tell you, biblical trust comes. Am I going to trust that God's way is better than mine? Or can I say, God's way isn't always the best? Let me tell you something. The easier way would have been to put her away and tell her, tell her the truth and tell her the lie. He could have said, hey, this is the right thing to do. He says, you know what? When I take her as my wife, they're going to be a boot on her. Or a boo, a boot, a boy. There's going to be a reproach if I do it God's way. People in the village here are going to say, ah, I knew it. I knew that was going to happen. I knew it. Because if it wasn't, why didn't he make it known? If it wasn't, why didn't he denounce her? Why didn't he divorce her? I knew it. Joseph understood the implications of his decision. It was a decision that was tough for him, but he had a trust in God. Can I encourage you, when you get into dilemmas of your life, don't just follow what your desire is. Stop and take a moment and say, what does God say? About this situation. What does God say that I need to do? What is the principle here that I need to trust God and to trust Him? Man, so many times I've seen young couples and uh, I've seen teenagers make some of the biggest mistakes of their life simply because they didn't trust that God's way was the best way. They get in a dating relationship and they let their feelings get all uh, enwrapped in what they're doing and then they make a mistake. And instead of keeping themselves pure, instead of saying, I'm just going to wait and do it God's way, they, they don't trust that God's way is always the best way. We see this not only in teenagers' lives, we see this in adults' lives, in teachers' lives. Where instead of waiting and basing my decision on what does the Word of God say, they say, well, what do I want to do? Listen, we cannot lose our decision to how we feel in the moment. Nor can we make the decision on what is everybody else going to say about this. No, base your decision on what does the word of God say. That's why Psalm 119, 105 really works. It says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The psalmist said in Psalm 43, 3, oh, send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me, let them bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacle. Coming to the psalmist this morning was, listen, God's way is better than my way. David had to learn that the hard way. There was a moment in David's life where he acted upon his desire instead of what God said. And listen, it cost him a son. It cost him heartache. It cost him a broken family. Why? Because he went to what he desired to do, not what God told him to do. He had to learn. God, let your word be my light in darkness. I love what Proverbs 6.23 says. It says, for the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light and reproof of instruction and the fear of God. David's son, Solomon, had to learn. There's something that I can tell you I know from what I have seen in 
of all of my wisdom in this world, the law of God wraps around my neck. That's the way to live your life when you face the dilemma. Submit to God's word. Listen to God's word. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, if our faith be worth anything, it will stand the test. Guilt is afraid of fire, but gold is not. The paste then dreads to be touched by the diamond, and the true gem is in our hearts. It is a poor faith which can only trust God when things are good, the body full of health, and the bosom soft. For that is true faith which holds by the Lord's bosom when his sons are gone, when the body is sick, when the spirits are depressed, and the light of our Father's countenance is dimmed. A faith which can say in the direst trouble, though he slay me, yet will I trust the Lord. That is faith. And I say say that Joseph is showing that kind of trust in God. He said, God, I I know it's going to cost me, and I know I don't understand why I'm in this dilemma, but I'm going to trust that what you say is the best thing. I'm going to trust that if I do this and I take Mary as my wife, you're going to provide the best for me. It's going to be your will and not mine. See, that's what trust does. It can be relying on someone else. Joseph had to ignore his common sense. Joseph had to ignore his own desire and his own will. Joseph had to just look at the situation and say, I'm going to trust God in my own way. That's my faith. See, that's what the word of God does for us. All right, this is past tense dialect. I told you at the beginning, in the vehicle, not in the law of Moses. We noticed that in the vehicle there was a lighter, a cigarette lighter that wasn't working. And so he knew to get cigarette lighters, and he just tried this on throughout the day. Nothing came up. So he didn't have one. And so we need that uh, lighter to be working. And so uh, I decided that I was going to go to uh, uh, AutoZone and, and uh, find uh, the, we call it the uh, fuse, I guess that's what they call it. It's a fuse, yeah. It's a fuse that was burnt out. And the way that you find what fuse it is, the part has lots of fuse. Now, we could talk about those and what fuse and what kind of a spot that we might be looking at. And uh, it's interesting that when you go and do that, you've got to uh, look at where that fuse is. And when you take off the top of the box of where the cigar in your car, you'll turn it around, and you'll find a little match. And on the match, you'll notice, and it'll, it'll be numbered. And through the numbers, you can find the word help required to light it. And it'll tell you which is the fuse for that. And so there was a little Tin Can uh, fuse that was used to be there. And so I went and bought that little Tin Can fuse, and I took it out, and I put it in. for me to trust in God. The word of God is that match when you're in that dark. When you get in life and you have a dilemma, listen, right here is the match. This is the answer to it. This is what you need to run to, not run from. So many times as Christians, we get into a difficult situation and we say, God, why did you put me here? And why is this happening this way? And instead of going to the 
have we want to bring to him. But God wants you and I, listen, to go to that mess and say, I'm going to base my decisions based on what God really says. And I want you to notice about this promise. Not only did it come from what God had said, but that kind of trust fed him to obey his instructions. So notice it says in verse 24, uh, verse 24 that when he awoke, he raised up and he went to him. He didn't wait a week. He didn't wait a month. You'll notice when he was in the dilemma in verse number 19, it says, and as he pondered these things, as he thought about these things, it's a mess. But when God came to his life, it was no longer, man, what am I going to eat? What am I going to do? He said, if that's what you called me to do, I'm going to go do it. You see, real trust in God always leads to an obedience. You can't trust God and then never obey God. It's amazing how we, uh, in our 21st century Christianity, many times want to have that as our identity. It's amazing how many Christians there are in social media and how few there are that practice what they say they believe. Uh, Trusting is more than just saying, oh, yeah, I think he's right. No, trusting always leads to obedience. In other words, you won't obey without trusting that God is speaking. And by the way, if you're not doing your obedience based on that, you're not really obeying. A lot of people just come to church, but it's not based on because they believe that that's what the Bible says to do. It's because this is the way we practice. This is how I score points with God. Let me just say, that's my obedience to God. God God doesn't look down and go, oh, you know, thank you for being that person. I don't know what I was going to do if you didn't go and do it. We're not doing God any favors, and sometimes we live like we are. Sometimes we get into a dilemma and we act like, oh, well, I'm going to trust God on this because if you always ask me to do something, as if following God is not what you got to do. Listen, when you are fully convinced and trusting that God's word is the truth, it will always lead you to obey that truth. There was no more debating in Joseph's mind, should I do this or should I not? Joseph, right there in the moment, made the decision. I'm trusting you. I'm going. I'm doing it. Notice what John 4, uh, 15, 14, Jesus told his disciples. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Jesus asked his disciples many times, which of you is I am? He asked one time, who do you people say that I am? And they said, well, some people think you're Elijah. Some think, people think it's another great prophet, that you're a great teacher. And then Jesus answered, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, Sometimes we ask ourselves when we get into a dilemma. Who do you think God is in those moments? Spurgeon said, it's really easy to trust God when everything is going well. Can I please trust God? Even an atheist can trust God sometimes. But in your moments of weakness, when it seems like you can't find God anywhere, you just need to say, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you no matter what. still believe that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. You know, there are, there are these Olympic 
forces were moving towards the road, one of the best times to move towards the Egyptian lines. The way that they come to the Arabian horses is very interesting. To train these horses to obey, they do something that, I don't know if it, it seems to me like a significant thing to do to an owner of an animal like that, but what they'll do is they'll take these horses and they'll begin to teach them, of course, to obey basic commands and do certain different things like that. But the way that they test them to see if they're really obeying is they'll do this. They'll let them go two or three days without touching them. They'll be teaching them to obey, but they won't give them any water. Teach them what the commands are. They'll teach them how to go and come and, and do all that they're training them to do, but they won't give them any water. And then on that fourth day, they'll take the horse and they'll take him to an area where there's water available. And they'll allow the horse that was so thirsty to come down to the source of water. And as he gets really close to where he's about to go to drink water, they'll call him out. And they'll find if the horse truly is obedient, they'll turn around and give him water. Even though he's dying of thirst, they turn around and give him water. Now, after they do that, their masters will give them all the water they need. You see, the, the trainer knows what's going to kill the horse and what's not going to kill the horse. That owner's been providing everything that horse needs to survive and to live. And what he wants that horse to learn is this, obedience. You know, God does the same thing for you and I. He did it for Joseph. Put him in a, in a, in a, in a place where he was used by one man. And where he really desired to see some son, but it would have been the wrong decision. And God says, this is your son. Joseph makes a decision based on what God has now told him, and he obeys obediently. This morning, I, I really don't know what dilemma you might be facing. I don't know what the desires of your heart may be. But I do know that the decision that must be made is in your hands. It's a decision that might keep you bitter back home. It might be a decision that you need to mend a broken relationship that you have in your life. To forgive someone or to be forgiven by someone. It might be to give to a certain cause or person. Whatever the decision, can I say you need to base it on God's word. Not the plan, but the plan. In uh, 1886, a man by the name of Daniel Towner was a music conductor and he was a man that was big in the music, uh, one of the famous revivals of an evangelist named uh, Dwight L. Moody. And uh, while he was there, uh, there was a time that they gave for the people that were there to give a little bit of a testimony, what God was doing in their lives. And when he gave uh, this, uh, this testimony, he, he writes in his biography, uh, he was talking about how he was there in New York City and this young man up and he was giving the testimony of what God was doing in his life and he made this comment. He said, I'm not quite sure, but I'm going to trust and I'm going to obey. You know, Daniel jotted that little uh, phrase down. And later he sent that phrase to a pastor friend of his by the name of John uh, Stanley. And he was a testimony to Daniel. 
end of those words when he says, not in taking life in the name of this, your idea, which is saying that is ridiculous. Maybe this is what you're saying. But later, in a couple of years later, John got cast in the lake of Gennesaret. It says, when he walked in the Lord, in the light of his glory, what a glory to be shown by all nations. Well, he, Jesus was there. He abides with us still. And with all who will trust in him. Not a worry we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toils we get victory repaid. Not a grief or a loss, not a crown or a cross, but is blessed in Christ. What we never can prove with the life that we love has been all on the altar below. For the favor he shows, for the joy he shows, are condemned.
done by uh, by friends that you like. Uh, but we still like you to get the record of it uh, for the paper at the end. And if you want to get the music, because you're not going to get it right now, between the envelope and say, I'm going to give it to the Tech Team in a little bit. Uh, but you just go ahead and get one, and we'll just break it down directly. Uh, for this one for you, that's for us to figure that out, and uh, and then that would make sense in the mail. And whatever the amount that you'd like to give, we do this every year. Uh, it's our gift to Jesus, but we celebrate with Jesus. It's not our birth, uh, our birthday. It's His birth and His birthday. And uh, so we want to give to Jesus uh, and and uh, do that. And the way uh, that we're doing that today is by uh, just giving a, a one-time gift to the ministry. It's not the tithe and offering gift. It's just a gift. Uh, and what we're going to do with this gift. Uh, is that we're going to try to improve our work and we're going to remodel the fair. Uh, we've got a lot of new ladies coming up here and we'd like to have a few uh, tithe of one God given and back uh, that way. So uh, we want to remodel. That's what the gift of Jesus is going to be going to. Uh, so if you would, just go ahead and uh, get one of those and uh, and uh, you can fill it out. And in a moment, we'll uh, we'll have time for coffee coffee cake uh, for the offering. We'll have the offering plate for you to provide uh, and we'll uh, we'll be shopping through the fair. So that way we can start picking gifts and give them out to the needy. All right? Uh, while you're doing that, filling it out, we'll tell you how to do it. Give it to the offering, and uh, we'll take care of it. Well, pick up the uh, the love plate. Yes, sir. 